Hi there. Thanks for listening to Robert Fain's Hegel podcast, Studying Hegel for Life, Studying the Philosophy of Right. Welcome. Okay, there we go. Paragraph 500 is our subject. Paragraph 500 of the Encyclopedia. And I gave it the title, The Necessity of Punishment. The Necessity of Punishment. Um, Remember that we're talking about the relationship of right and injustice. And that we have discovered that there are three degrees of injustice or wrongdoing. There is the naive injustice, which leads to a civil dispute um, where one makes a mistake with regard to a particular possession. There is a second degree where um, we try to acquire a property by deceit, which only has an external recognition of right. And thirdly, we have the uh, violent evil will, um, the transgression or the crime in this particular instance, because we're still talking about external objects, that is theft. Now, paragraph 500 explains to us that this theft, this um, violent evil will that appropriates something uh, that is uh, not rightfully yours um, is in itself non-existent. Not because it's not real, it certainly is real, something happens in the world, but it's non-existent in the sense that it cannot maintain itself. It is injustice, therefore it cannot remain what it is. Whatever I have stolen cannot become rightfully mine, and therefore I do not have the security of the owner. I never become the owner. I've simply stolen something. Now let's go into paragraph 500 itself. Um, If you can, uh, take before you the German version of paragraph 500, or at least the English an English translation of that paragraph. And let's see what we have here. Paragraph 500. Solche Handlung ist als Verletzung des Rechts an und für sich nichtig. So an action like that, this theft is a violation of right, um, right in its essence and actuality. Uh, uh, Hegel speaks about uh, right an und für sich, yeah, so an sich, uh, you might translate as the uh, essential right and für sich, you can um, talk about für sich in the sense of actuality. So it's a violation of right. Um, now, as I said before, it's nichtig, that means it has no validity and therefore also no permanence. But then the second sentence. Als Wille und Denkendes stellt in ihr der Handelnde ein, 
aber formell ist und nur von ihm anerkanntes Gesetz auf, stellt ihn ihr der Handelnden ein Gesetz auf, aber das Gesetz ist nur formelles und nur von ihm anerkanntes. So as a will and as a thinking person, the actor, the one who acts here, posits a law, a universal law, which is just formally uh, such and is only recognized by himself. Ein Allgemeines, das für ihn gilt, so it's a universal that has validity for him, for the thief, und unter welches er durch seine Handlung zugleich sich selbst subsumiert hat. Uh, so, um, under this uh, law, this universal, um, the actor posits himself uh, through his action. Now, what does that mean? Um, it means that one, uh, that a thief acts as if his violation of right is an enactment of right, uh, whereby this right is just a formal universal. It's just his way, his particular way of positing a right for himself. I have the right to steal this, which is, of course, a contradiction in, it, in itself. Um, but it means that he doesn't consider, a thief doesn't consider his theft to be an exception to the law, um, he posits thereby that he has the right to appropriate this. Um, you can see that when you look at the particular rationality that is in play here. Um, someone else is not really hurt if I take this. Um, I need it so much that it has to be rightfully um, it has to be rightfully mine, has to become rightfully mine. So there is some kind of universal that the thief uses to um, rationalize his action and to justify his, his action. So Hegel is presupposing that even a thief uh, who is violating right must to some degree use the concept of right to justify his own action. He posits a universal it that has just particular validity for him, because obviously if um, theft would be a universal in itself, if everyone has the right to gain property by simply seizing it, then there would be no property whatsoever. So he has to declare himself to be um, the exception. He is the one with this um, uh, universal with this um, uh, law that is only recognized by himself, but he has to posit it as a kind of a law. I have the right to seize any property that I truly need against the interests of the rightful owner. Now, the third sentence um, explains this a bit more, and um, it explains in particular how this can be remedied. So how can this theft be um, uh, remedied? How can the property be restored? Now the first stage of that will turn out to be revenge. Let's read the third sentence. Die dargestellte Nichtigkeit dieser Handlung, 
Die Ausführung in einem dieses formellen Gesetzes und des Rechts an sich, zunächst durch einen subjektiven, einzelnen Willen, ist die Rache, welche, weil sie von dem Interesse unmittelbarer partikulärer Persönlichkeit ausgeht, zugleich nur neue Verletzung ins Unendliche fort ist. So the exposition of the uh, nullity, the, the non-validity of this action, uh, the execution um, of this action in um, uh, this formal universal, this uh, contradiction between the formal universal, the formal law that the thief posits for himself, and the right in itself that is violated here, uh, if you want to expose that uh, nichtigkeit, uh, this non-existence of this action, um, you can act against it as a subjective particular will. Um, that is the case when you steal back the thing that the thief has stolen from you. So that is a kind of uh, attempt at restoration. I take it back, I take it back by seizing it, I take it back by coercion or by force, and in that way my particular interest is served. I lost something, something was stolen from me, now I take it back, and thereby the original situation is restored. Well, that is not the case, uh, Hegel says, because if someone has an object in his possession and I take it by force, that in itself is also a violation of right in itself. Um, so I try to remedy a violation of right in itself by violating right in itself, because also the fact that someone has a thing in his possession is um, uh, something that uh, you cannot simply um, change by, uh, by force. Now, there are two things happening in a theft. One is that my particular interest is violated, and the other is that right in itself is violated. There is a particular dimension to a theft, and there is a universal dimension to a theft. In the revenge, in the taking back of the stolen object, of course, my particular interest, this interesse unmittelbare particulaire persönlichkeit, the interest of the immediate and particular personality, um, is satisfied. I got my stuff back. But the way in which I got it back is a violation, again, a violation of right in itself. That's the second part of um, theft. It doesn't just violate my particular interest, but it violates also right in itself. Now, I can restore my particular interest by getting my stuff back. But by doing it in the same manner as the thief, uh, by positing a formal law that I have the right to regain my property by force, etc., etc., uh, I'm making again, I'm making again a new violation of right. 
And the thief uh, might argue that he has the right now to, uh, again, uh, appropriate that property again. So we have a back and forth uh, ad infinitum, ins unendliche, uh, in which uh, something is stolen from me, I steal it back, and then the thief steals it back from me, etc., etc. Now, how can we um, prevent this infinite process of uh, taking stuff into possession and violating it and getting it back and stealing it again, etc.? Um, how can we get away from this um, uh, revenge thing in which it only uh, in which only my particular interest matters and that's this particular matter uh, this particular interest is the only thing driving the action how can we get away from that that is the final sentence of paragraph 500 Dieser Progress hebt sich gleichfalls in einem dritten Urteil, das ohne Interesse ist, der Strafe auf. So Hegel is suggesting that, uh, and that is a necessity, that um, uh, the restoration of the right in itself must be our ultimate goal, not just the restoration of my particular interest that is violated, and that... Um, that is punishment. Punishment should be without any interest. Right in itself must be restored because right is something that by necessity needs to be restored. Um, without caring too much about the other side of um, the issue, and that is that also my particular interest needs to be restored. What we're talking about here is what we might call retributive justice. So it's a justice that tries to, um, uh, again, establish some kind of harmony or um, simply tries to establish, again, the um, reality of right that has become violated. And it has to do so in a very particular way. And that is what Hegel will talk about in the next paragraph, in paragraph 501. So what is important to remember here? Well, first of all, the violation of right is a violation of a person and personal interest. And secondly, is a violation of right in itself. You have to remember that revenge, retribution, restores the violation of a person by restoring his interest, by retrieving the stolen object. Nevertheless, for the full realization of freedom is necessary that this violation of right in itself is also restored and remedied. Now, freedom can only be realized if punishment, then, comes by necessity, if that is a necessity, a necessary process, something that is, um, uh, let's say, um, valid in a, in a society that punishment will come. If you violate uh, right in itself because punishment would be the only disinterested way of establishing right after it has been violated. Now, also important, what does it mean that we say that this violation of right in and for itself is non-existent or null, as some translations will have it? Non-existence means here it is real, it's something in reality. 
but it's unable to persevere. It has no rightful existence. It's a mode of existence of the will that actually negates the essence of the will. It's self-contradictory. And of course, whatever is self-contradictory is irrational, and whatever is irrational will ultimately have to be discarded or uh, abolished. Now, we have to remember that this uh, self-contradiction of the will is really an important issue. The free will has been shown before in the opening paragraphs of this section to be the unity of the particular and the universal. The free will is the unity of the particular and the universal. That is its telos, that is, that's its, its inner uh, end or goal. So this self-contradictory mode of the existence of the will is something that is against the inner um, inner progress, inner uh, attempt of realizing itself, of the will. Now, we have found here the limitations of right. So the contract was an appearance of right. We had the relationship between two free wills. We had the objectivization of the free will in the commonality of the agreement, etc. Now we have in the injustice the illusion of right, which in revenge and punishment is only partially restored. Punishment, of course, is restoration of right, because injustice must be effectively, effectively shown not to exist. So we have the non-existence of injustice, real but unable to persevere, and we have the necessity of effectively demonstrating that the injustice does not exist. Why is that the case? Because we can argue that something is an injustice, or we can have the opinion that something is an injustice, but if it's not shown to be injustice, then that injustice will simply persevere. It has to be shown not to exist, and thereby it loses its reality. Something has to change. That requires something very important, and that is that punishment is something that needs to be executed by a force, a force of coercion. And if there is no such thing as a force of coercion, then injustice will simply remain and persevere, and right will always be mixed up with injustice. We simply have a series of states of affairs, um, Person A uh, holding on to object B and person C uh, stealing it, uh, stealing object B from A. And we have this eternal battle of uh, uh, possession. Um, and we have this abstract idea of right and injustice, but we don't have a reality that becomes conformed to that concept. So we need something that is actually also in opposition to the freedom of the will, which is the right of coercion, that the right in itself can only effectively maintain itself when it demonstrates that something is an injustice by coercing the perpetrator of the theft to give up, not only give up his, uh, his stolen object and thereby restoring the private interest of the original owner, that's one thing, but the other thing is that uh, there should be um, 
a um, commensurate violation of the person of the thief or his uh, possessions and to show that um, uh, an injustice has been, um, been done. This is something that you find in all sorts of legal systems. It is not something that is completely alien to the system of law and right that we actually have, but I think it's one of the most um, clear and um, uh, most conceptual uh, understandings of what is actually happening in punishment. My final remark is that um, as a rational person, the thief is actually entitled to punishment. If there were no such thing as a punishment, then the thief would be forever a thief. Even if he gives back his property, his stolen property, to the rightful owner, he would still remain a thief. The status of being a thief can only be remedied by undergoing punishment, and through that punishment becoming restored also to his original status as a um, uh, rightful personality, as a, a person of right. Now, all of that we need to look into a little bit further in the next paragraph, paragraph 501, for which I am making a separate, a separate uh, broadcast, uh, or podcast, rather. Okay, thank you very much for listening. I hope you're doing well in your studies of Hegel, and uh, we'll go into paragraph 501 the next time.